my view of the world is based on redefining and restructuring systems. And like every system needs to be critiqued and refined and some of them needs to be completely destroyed and remade. day to you and welcome looked at the camera specifically to episode one of season three of movement matters where i've decided i've realized we are going to be focusing our brand focus what's going to be on brand is with regard to the overlap of identity and reality and how taking care of oneself and utilizing the tools that are the foundations of real wellness are critical for the evolution of, uh, of the individual and of the collective and that you can't have one without the other and so on and so forth. We've thought a lot about this over the last few months, folks. The brand is getting clearer. It's about time, right? It's about time. And with that, we're calling it season three. Uh, we finished unintentionally, you could say, or well, it's true. Season two, back in March, the last re- podcast um, that we've released is actually from March 12th, the day that, for most of us, things dramatically changed, radically and slowly, but surely we're realizing completely changed and began to change. Um, if you haven't listened to season two, it's really lovely and short. Uh, It's with Casey and Mitchell and John and Beth. We even might be able to throw in a bonus from Paolo of Bridge Acupuncture. Um, But season three is upon us, folks, because it's a new world, and now we're finally ready to be recording more. And we are ready here because these last few months have been really productive for us. You're going to be seeing a lot of new content coming from Koru, uh, actually from what we're going to be calling, it's going to have a different name. It'll be a Real Wellness Collective. Koru will be more specifically just my uh, coaching and training and um, sort of uh, teaching style, if you will. But the Real Wellness Collective is the exciting piece that is being birthed from this time of incredible focus and... and, uh, change and shift so anyway season three we still don't have sponsors so we'll skip that part even though i have a list that we'll be working on for real wellness collective season three begins now with connor o'hanlon connor is a incredible 24 year old when i was 24 (laughs) things were different for me to say the least connor is exciting he's intelligent he is on the ball, and we can get into everything, and I mean everything from working out and rotational patterns as, as being relevant to uh, effective functional and, and um, longevity sustaining movement practices to what we mostly pr- talk about, which is honestly <clears throat> the real meat of our conversations normally, um, the social needs and the reality of how human evolution is only going to be possible with 
changing our thinking and changing our understanding of ourselves in relationship to each other and to all of existence, to say the least. He primarily gets into that through the lens of politics, but we both know that it's all the same focus. Uh, you may know of Connor because he, because he um, primarily, I believe, if not entirely, organized the June 1st rally that took place in Doylestown, uh, the day that a lot of uh, cities and towns across the country were organizing rallies and protests. Um, he was the primary, or again, maybe the only uh, piece to that puzzle for us being able to organize effectively in Doylestown. And that is because he is a politician. Uh, and in six years, he is aspiring to be a senator because he's 24, and apparently you have to be 30. Let's see, you may also know Connor through Asgardia Strength. Connor is really strong, power lifter extraordinaire. And we've had a good time working out uh, once now, and we're going to do more, uh, testing each other's strength. Uh, he brings out the the meathead and the goon in me in the best of ways, in the most fun of ways, and uh, in the kind of ways that actually I end up needing to probably be a little bedridden for a couple of days. We'll see how the next workout goes, though. Uh, lovely fellow uh, in the... Yeah, he's he's extremely well-rounded, to say the least. Uh, fun fact that we didn't get into, but it's worth mentioning, is that his great-uncle actually had a legitimate boxing match with Muhammad Ali and apparently a bear as well. But the really cool thing for the Philly folks is that his great uncle is the inspiration for the Rocky story, which I had no idea of. Look up Chuck Wepner. Apparently that's the deal. Chuck Wepner. Um, Connor is a lover of all things Marvel, but specifically Thor. You probably know a bit about that. And it's fun to dance around that bat a couple times. And uh, if you listen all the way through, you'll hear his take on Thanos, to say the least. So with that, without further ado, I bring you Connor O'Hanlon and episode one of season three of Movement Matters. Thank you very much. More later. I think the defining factor of me is passion, just in general. So, like all three of the things that we we kind of have on our agenda are my passions and my right. The third one being nerd or geek culture. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the, probably the most important one. <laughs> um, sure, sure, sure. What was your workout today? I didn't do one today, but yesterday I did. Today is a rest day. Yeah, today is a rest day. Okay. Um, because usually I work out at this time that we're you know recording yeah so i decided to take a day to rest today but i did a full glory muscle workout yesterday i saw the the curls curls, yeah (laughs) because a lot of what i was doing yesterday was helping i was helping my brother and helping my friend who who comes over and lifts so your brother does look like you yeah he does a lot he's smaller hair at least smaller than me yeah but does look similar to me he's built like me and not like my other brother my other brother's six foot one six foot two Maybe oh. 175 pounds. You're six one, right? Oh no, I'm five nine. Five nine. You're really being generous. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe if like, I didn't look up your height. Yeah, no, maybe if I stretched out a little bit. But you know, I'm five nine, two hundred pounds. My 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 middle brother is six one, 170 pounds. Mm. So he's like really stretched out. <laughs> Not trying to be Thor though. I'm well, trying to be Thor. He's more like 
Captain America before he got transformed. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not meant to be insulting. Um, <laughs> well, you, I can you probably get, He's my brother. Yeah, you probably get what I get, which is people thinking you're taller because you stand upright. True. Maybe. Yeah, you stand tall, so to speak. I try to, at least. <laughs> I'm actually only 5'10 as well. Yeah, I think we're about like the same. I'm like 5'9 and some change. If I'm, yeah. you know, again, it depends who's asking. Right, right, right. The ladies are asking, maybe I'll say 5'10". Oh, okay. <laughs> With no comment. There was an easy one, but I'm not going to. Um, that's great, though. That's great. How are the ladies with you? Uh, have, you have not really, I suspect, been able to you know engage with the ladies not as really much as, no <laughs> yeah. not during this time no no uh you know it's definitely uh that's definitely a challenge and living at home that doesn't make it easy yeah. either and you were back in march living with your parents oh i've been yeah since i graduated from college uh-huh. yeah which you know interesting yes yes yeah, I was saying to somebody a couple of weeks ago, I think the people for whom I have the most empathy are actually your, kind of your sector right now. Obviously, there's every group, if you will, every type of person, if you will, is struggling in some way. But in terms of, like you just said, purpose is fundamental to you and you're not struggling, or passion, sorry. You're very passionate, so you're not struggling. It seems like some people are in your group um and i'll qualify your group but a lot of the people that i think in your your age group who are right out of school if you will or close to it and are not rooted in some kind of path just yet this um is this is a particularly challenging moment you're either going to (laughs) yeah it's obviously a test to say the least yeah you can't imagine now where you're gonna go in any normal way you don't have something that was previously providing a sense of structure mm-hmm. or um how to like progress career-wise so it seems like you guys are in a uniquely challenging position yeah i mean especially um i'm in a position personally that like i have the passions that drive me to what i want to do but even like figuring out well, how the hell do I get out of my parents' house? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, how do I get money to do that? Like, that's obviously a challenge that, like, are, you know, the lower 20s, because I'm 24, or that, like, age group is struggling to do. I mean, especially in Bucks County, uh, it's, like, you either just have to move or it's you still live at home. Like, it's really hard to find young people that don't live at home. Right. And with that, so, all right, let me ask you this then. We're not going to stick to anything close to the order that we had played with, which is great. So what's, and don't get me wrong, I was 24 once, except when I was 24, I was already becoming a dad. Mm -hmm. So a different ball game, to say the least. But I can remember, of course, many, many times thinking, I'm never going to move out, or when am I going to move out? And it was a major distraction. But now, and especially because you're such a smart guy, you see the big picture in ways that I don't think everybody your age does for mm-hmm. sure. But may- maybe that's changing. But but now, what would be the motivation even to move out? Like, why would that even be as... Or how... Can you recognize For that? me or for someone my age, do you mean? Like well, in both. General? Both. Well, it's just like... So, specifically as someone that went to college, I know what it's like to live on my own. You know, you have that independence. You've got... you've gained that feeling of like 
I have my space and I have my time and my life. Sure. Um, and it's not that like you can't spend time with your family and whatnot, but you're living. It's almost like a dictatorship in a sense because it's not your house. And granted, like I didn't pay for the house I was living in when I was in college. Yeah. But that like living arrangement, that independence is something you definitely take for granted when you're in college. And then you come back and you're like, oh, I'm not in charge here. <laughs> it's like. All right, good. So we're going to get right into that. Like we said, the meat of it. So yeah. that independence, that focus on independence. I think you know where. Do you know where I'm coming from with this, or should I, I unpack it a little? Go more? for it. You know, unpack it a little bit. I, I think I know what you're talking about, but go for it. Well, right. It relates to some some of what we played around with before um, when we met a couple of weeks ago. Just the question of how important and how you know, if you really take stock of what you, what matters mm-hmm. and, and your values, how important is independence really? I mean, and of course it is important, but to the extent that like, you you know that living like you were in a, as a college guy mm-hmm. is not the path for you anymore. Right. You know, I know you know that. <laughs> well, the, the, the tricky thing is that like I kind of lived like an old man in college. Like I didn't go out and drink and I didn't go out and party. And it's like I just like. That's why we relate. But yeah, sure. I just like that I had a place that I could I could spend my Friday nights, you know, eating donuts and watching tv you know what i mean like and just be like left alone curiosity donuts yeah no no you don't know their brand no (laughs) oh my god no i live off of them no just like literally i would get the the garbage tier (laughs) giant brand donuts we would get them me and my friends we would go to every friday night not every friday night most friday nights we would go and we get we would call them discount donuts because when giant you know makes them every day at the end of the day they either throw them out or they put them in a bundle and we would get them for like $2 and we would get like two dozen donuts. <laughs> so that's what we would do on our Friday One nights. dozen each. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, there was three of us. So we would, we would split them all and then we would get beer and whatever. And we would, we would have political debates and that's like what I found fun in college. So it's not what it's the great. average kid was doing, but it was that space that I could do it or yeah. like, you know, and it's like, I can have my friends over and I don't feel weird like, yeah, I'm invading someone else's space. Like, if it's my parents' house, then it's like, okay, well, I'm kind of restrained to doing certain, like, okay, stay in my basement, which is also my room. And, uh, like, do do that and, like, stay there. The independence uh, isn't, like, it's, it's, like, a, it's definitely, like, a hard feeling to describe until you felt like you are back under the confines of somebody else's rule. Oh no, I think I think everybody <laughs> can understand it. It's very relatable and like I said there're tons of people in your like who are dealing with something like that or some something akin to that uh lack of independence mm-hmm. or need for their own space and and that is completely legitimate. The specific curiosity that I have for you cuz it's relevant to the bigger picture conversation that I imagine we could be having and will have is how um how important for achieving that independence is it to just be moving out like to me that seems like it could be an old obsolete definitely idea it definitely is (laughs) it's it's definitely like my own everybody's got to get in on a more creative solution as opposed to like i think you're right and especially with like we're talking about skyrocketing housing prices we're talking about i have 
Yeah, I have student aspect. loan debt and I have I have things that I have to pay for. And I don't have like a corporate job that you come out of school and you can just afford to do X, Y, or Z and get a house, get a car. You know, I mean, some people do have that, but I think it's few and far between now. It's like, it's a lot more of a rarity to find someone that comes right out of college, gets that job that they were promised that they were going to get by going to college and then just they set sail. Um, also, it's a part of my personality that like, I want to have my passion be a part of what I'm doing. Uh, I think I said this to you last time, like, I don't have a dream job. You know, it's just, yes, you do. Wait, <laughs> no, no, no. I don't have a dream job oh, because okay. it's not, I don't dream about so. working. I dream about, I have certain things that I want to do, oh, but right, I right, would right, do yeah. that. I would own a gym. Yeah. I would become a Senator, which are two of my, That's my two I was goals. Thinking of the Senator part, yeah. But those aren't, it's not because those are jobs. Those things it. are yeah. something that I want to do, even if I wasn't getting paid to do them. Yes. Like I would not be, a job. Yeah. Right. Cause like my, my vocation more. Right. But like, I don't dream about working. I dream about doing things that I'm passionate about. Absolutely. And that's, it's just a, a frame of mind. And, and that's why it's like, I'm kind of an exception. I think sometimes when it comes to that kind of thing, like if you ask someone what your dream job, it's an easy question. And if someone asks me, I'm not going to be like, well, I don't dream about, <laughs> I don't dream about uh, work. You know, I mean, t- if my friends ask me that, or you're asking me, like, we're going to have these conversations, then I don't, I would say that I don't have that mindset of it. I, I look at it as something, a job is something that I can pay the bills or I can move out or I can get a car. I can buy nice things. But it's not like what I want to do necessarily. And now if you can overlap them, you make passion your job, then it's ideal. And then it doesn't really become a job, which is kind of cliche to say. But it's like that's the thing. If I had if I was a gym owner or if I was and maybe I'm wrong, maybe that thing won't bring me the happiness that I want. But like maybe if I'm a senator and it's terrible, maybe people hate me as a senator. But that's what I think that I want now, at least. You'd be in good company as a hated senator. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but the, so you're focused on passion, not, not job, not, not we, yeah. we called, we called it a uh, self-employed and now that's a myth last time we were talking. But, uh, the, that comes back again to the same kind of question is how, how do you, even strategize for that at this point given we could outline the the reality of the moment and how it's different from july of 2019 yeah and i think we could do that pretty easily but the specific point is like if you imagine yourself obviously even just six months from now i don't see how you can realistically be strategizing the way you may have again back in july of 2019 hypothetically because of the questions that we're needing to be asking ourselves now. So love, I love the focus on passion mm-hmm. and creating a, a life of purpose where your, um, your passion fuels your actions as opposed to the, the sense of responsibilities or having to, or you know, it sounds like a even idea of conformity is relevant. And with you, what's exciting, because you are so thoughtful and and you're obviously intelligent the the need seems real to have to be changing the strategy Mm -hmm. dramatically like oh that that path of creating my own 
um, passionate lifestyle on my own and that being totally independent and figuring it out, et cetera, et cetera, that model, that path, that structure, I don't, I don't see that as so possible these days. I'm curious. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, like, Which I mean, we talked about having... I kind of feel excited about yeah no that's it's it's exciting because it forces change like the structure is not working force change and if you don't change then you're doomed to fail and i think we talked about having too many cooks in the kitchen like last yes. time we and it's like <laughs> if you have um it's like i would like to do things that are more social and more communal and like doing things that are more collaborative uh i work much better in that situation but uh it's hard to unify visions when you have diametrically opposed visions. So like if you have like me, um, I want to start a gym, right? But if, if, if I have a partner that wants to do something else, then we can't necessarily work to that unifying goal. And that's why for me working independently isn't ideal necessarily, but like you said, you have to strategize for the time. And I am alone in doing this right now. So it is just like being a product of this is the situation. We have <laughs> the pandemic. So like my planning is very piecemeal. My plan, my planning is working on every bit of my passion and world little by little each day. Like I, I study for my CPA exam every day and it's not something I want to do, <laughs> but it's, it's something that like, I because I do want to have that CPA. I do want to do that, but I also work on getting uh, equipment for a gym. I start. I take classes to improve my training style. I take. Uh, I have meetings every single day for my political realm. You know, like it's just really. What well, are those I have, that's what I have one tonight for. Uh, it's just. It's. I have. Hmm. I have meetings, and then I have polit- like my my uh, my joy comes from listening to podcasts and my own education like m- listening to and reading uh that stuff is more fun to me but i actually have to because you know I, i'm 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 connected here now in local politics that i actually have to attend the meetings i have to attend and be there and they're not the most fun uh well and that's all right so to interrupt you that's why yeah. i'm pushing this yeah, obviously we didn't plan for this to be where we started, but pushing this um, this context of envisioning something else because mm-hmm. you are directly linked to politics in ways that I'm not, and I'm yeah. curious how the possibility of legislation or what you know about like the legislative process and the actual process of doing anything in, say, downtown Doylestown or changing anything right. in that context – how can that overlap with a hypothetical new vision? Yeah. Something as simple as like, okay, wow, yeah, let's let's think about how much better it would be if, say, the borough, the streets uh-huh. were closed off to cars from Pine to Hamilton. I've thought of the names beforehand. So from Pine to <laughs> Hamilton and uh, Court to Oakland, mm-hmm. like that main little big like chunk plus yeah, sign square. in the middle. What if they were closed to cars? Let's. How would we even go about something like that? And that would be related to a different vision where it's not obviously immediately linked to the idea of 
you know, living in your own separate quarters or your own private home, cut off from or separate from your parents, but it gets to that in a way if the vision is more about interdependence, um, balancing the level of dependence and independence, right? Then something like that immediately to me comes to mind. Yeah, and you know about the behind-the-scenes work. So yeah, I, well, I think I think it's interesting that you bring up shutting down those streets because they actually did shut. I really the, want them to. They did shut down. <laughs> they did. They did. Um, and they did it for only for you know one day. Yeah. But um, so to me, I like, think a lot of people actually want that. I think it's nice. I think it's nice to be able to walk in the street and like uh, go and do stuff. And obviously, yeah. Being... And then we could take jackhammers to the asphalt, <laughs> right? We can start. <laughs> Grow a big ass oak tree right in the middle. Of that town. would be pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I wouldn't condone that, but it would be pretty cool. Um, yeah. But like a lot of what I I, I view, um, my worldview is through a pretty uh, well not defined but ref- refined um, ideology that I've worked on over time, and like it's a lot of what comes from that is not. Uh, based on individuals it's based on systems and structures that like we have to change like we would talk about um i mean my number one issue is well climate change is obviously one of the number one issues but personally selfishly um because i'm when i turn 26 i will be kicked off my parents insurance Hmm. um and i don't have that job that provides insurance so um that is my number one is like get it passing medicare for all and that or in a super ideal world, we would get a um, like an NHS when we talk about like uh, Britain or France. We have government run, 100% government run uh, healthcare structures that get rid of the private insurance, get rid of all the middlemen, the billing, processing, and you actually develop something that uh, there's a movie, I forget the name of the movie, but it's uh, when you get, when you're sick, you get help. And that's, that's just the line. You're sick, you get help. You need something, you get help. And that's like an, it's a structural change that is almost beyond the mind, like comprehending it. Like it's so, so different than the system that we have right now that it's hard to accept. It's hard to, uh, or, or like we can pivot, you can go to the Green New Deal or something like that. Something that's drastically changing a system uh, so much to address such a amorphous issue like climate change. It's so, we can't, I mean, there are obviously physical attributes that change, but you can't feel in your hands climate change. You can't uh, feel the lack of healthcare. You can't feel uh, going bankrupt because your wife or your husband got cancer and you don't have money to pay for it. So these structures are the barriers, and you're talking about roads. Roads are obviously the local structure, and local government is so, so important, but boring. <laughs> it's so boring, uh, and I obviously ran. I ran for local government, so I've spent a lot of time in those meetings, and it's not as sexy as talking about what I like to talk about. Uh, it's not as fun as talking about uh, canceling student loan debt. It's you know. It's getting those roads done. It's getting those businesses to survive during a global pandemic. Uh, it's, it's hard. It, that's like the hard, nitty-gritty stuff. But it's it's important that we pay attention to it. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's my view of the world is based on redefining and restructuring systems, and it almost every system, and that comes with housing, comes with pet, uh, medical insurance, everything. Every like every system needs to be critiqued and refined, and some of them need to be completely destroyed and remade. I like how you say we can't fathom it in a way. It's yeah. infathomable. I think I know why, or at least I have a suspicion as to why. Mm-hmm. And that relates exactly to what we've been talking about this whole time, which is, you know, I'm coming in a little bit with this already in mind and always essentially in mind, which is that our system, as you call it, is supported by, to oversimplify it, an attachment to individualism. Mm-hmm. Um, you can call it different things, but our relationship to individuality and independence, I think, is excessive to a fault. So the description that you're giving of how to relate to climate change or the idea of healthcare or mm-hmm. health as a broader concept and something, what was the third thing you said? Uh, well, I like can't my whenever mm-hmm. someone asks me, it's healthcare, climate change, cancellation of student loan oh, debt, student and loan, again, right, it's another right, right. one of those selfish, <laughs> selfish things. But yeah, we can make the connection there too. But the the first two are obvious, which are you have to in order for you to care about that, for you to even start to feel as you were saying, mm-hmm. you have to be able to relate to the world around you and others as essentially part of the same whole you don't have to go so far as to sound sort of spiritual about it where we're all one but recognizing everything's part of the same whole including the people around you including the entire entirety of existence we just haven't really framed our ego or our our identity and certainly our um conceptualization of reality Mm -hmm. with that as foundational piece so i don't think it's really easy for us to grasp the situation um on any in any of those contexts especially climate change and and the reality of needing to take care of each other it's not what we've framed our as our priority so a microcosm of that is thinking about well do i really need to how, what to what extent do I need to have my own solitude and private home? That's obviously mm-hmm. what we were getting at in the beginning. <laughs> of course, you need it. Yeah, I've gone all in on hippie communes, man. It's not worth it. But <laughs> in living with your parents without a, your own autonomous space and a sense of privacy would suck. And that's clearly what a lot of people are dealing with in different ways, or some have chosen to be part of it. Which obviously the choice makes the difference of being voluntary, but. I think what you're hitting at in terms of that challenge to feels is a recognition or a reflection of how it's not what we've clearly taught ourselves and been taught and designed our entire understanding of reality around. So we can feel, but we're not accustomed to um, letting that fear, if it's fear in part, and then that maybe even something akin to joy or ecstasy guide us right once you shift from being concerned to being like in all of the um the joy of of thinking 
in a whole a holistic way. Right. And I think it's a I think it really comes from it stems from Which actually relates to the workout we did. But. Right. <laughs> it stems I think a lot of this stuff stems from a lack or you know if you view it like we do I think uh, a lack of empathy. I think yeah. you and I have the empathy of saying like that's why it's we can understand. Start. You have to have that to start this process. Right. Because you, you can to. feel someone's pain. Mm-hmm. You can't physically know what it's like, you know, if you've never been depressed or had anxiety, you can't understand what that person's going through unless you put yourself in their shoes. And now, you know, if you have suffered from things like that, you know. So it's easier to be like, okay, I get it. You know, but if you're in a situation where you don't know that person's experiences, you don't know what, you know, if you, you see someone that's homeless or whatever it is, you don't know what has led that person there. So the base level is just feeling empathy for them. And you can understand and critique systems and structures that have led someone to have to live on the street. All right. So let's discuss everything that started at the end of May and for you, what you launched uh-huh. on June 1st. Because you, as you said, um, you organized it. Right. You didn't co-organize it. You organized it, right? It was. I mean. Uh, not that it matters. Yeah, no. Th- there was, I was out. You uh, made it happen here yeah. in Doylestown. Don't worry. I, I, I kind of <laughs> blew it up. Part. I kind of yeah. blew it up. I didn't organize it, organize it, but I kind of blew it up. Yeah. yeah, and I got I listened to your conversation with um, the young man afterwards. I yeah. forget his name. Have it written. Yeah, Chandler. Chandler. Yeah, yeah. And obviously what you are you know, showing is the empathy you have for at that particular time, which... God, it's already almost two months. It feels like so, <laughs> so freaking long. Um, the empathy for, I don't even know the right term at this point, but just obviously African-Americans. Yeah. That's the simplest way to say it at the moment. Um, that drove you to do that. So, and and clearly everybody was very excited about that. It was a great two-day rally. Right. Uh, what I did was one day, one but day. but yeah. it was it, it 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 uh there was a few different protests in Doylestown, and then I connect myself with some others that then like I kind of helped just organize stuff with uh, other than in Doylestown, but across Bucks County really. Yeah, which is awesome. Well, you're the kind of person that we can intelligently discuss. What I'm getting at is the what seems like it could be a lack of empathy mm-hmm. for this context. Um, not only, but seemingly often f- with in people who identify as conservative. Right. And I think it's worth trying to make sense of that. And I bet you've already tried. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it, I don't know why, but I think that's why I frame it that way is because I used to, f- I used to feel those conservative values and i came i think they're pretty clear about why i think it's because there's a the the research i've done um and the conversations Uh i've listened to and the interviews that i've i've paid attention to is there's a specific issue with the idea that you can't overcome your um particular what you're presented with that you can't the or the they have an issue with the idea that no matter what you can't oh so you're going to be a victim of your circumstances to some extent. I'm pretty sure it comes down to that one issue over and over. It's like, well, no matter what, somehow there's a way, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. 
I, I think that's honestly what feeds the lack of empathy 100%. I think you're right. And I think <laughs> I think it actually almost comes back to individualism. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to saying, well, why is it that uh, you have to be a stud or a star uh, student and be the exemplary, like, top of the line to succeed? I think that life shouldn't be just based on that, like, corporate definition of success, right? And, and like... Uh, just and by corporate, I mean like having that job in an office where you make money, you have a, a house with a picket fence, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, it comes to like, OK, well, how do we design something that the vast majority of people can be successful? Because that is the point of having a country. That is the whole freaking conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it is so shocking when you hear a it is you have to call it conservative because that's what uh-huh. they often call it. A conservative argument. To- it's so irrelevant and asinine at the end of the day because the whole point is we're still we're all trying to figure out how to make this better but their issue is consistently with i th- and it has its place and I'll explain and this will get into things about extremes but their issue seems to be consistently that the system is good mm-hmm. they're just not figuring it out that's the in a nutshell the system doesn't need to change they need to figure it out and obviously what you're saying and we both agree on is, well, that's true and the system clearly has issues and needs to be improved a bit. Yes, they, whoever they are, can find a way. That's true. And the system does seem to be making it unnecessarily difficult, maybe even intentionally at times. And we need to be deliberate in how we... Um, navigate that issue it seems like they can, there's this consistent resistance to that change i think it comes from that fear of going to some crazy extreme that i don't know if you do much research on this and i don't necessarily either but i pay attention to certain voices and they they consistently sound like they're against what they're positioning themselves obviously both for is you could be worded to say also against seemingly the very thing that they're just afraid of, I yep. guess, like some kind of chaos. Yeah. Um, I think I know who you're talking about. I know the people you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I listen because, again, it's, it's like studying. It's like it's something at this that point it's studying. I have to engage in with the other side and I have to listen to the arguments and whatever. Well, and because I, and, there's no way we're going to figure this right. out if we don't understand each other. And I've knocked <laughs> I've knocked in the last year. And obviously with coronavirus, it's different. But um, in, in, since running for office, I've knocked probably 3,000, 4,000 doors. And I've talked to people at the doors. Yeah. And that's like the most intimate form of conversation you can have. I'm here to talk to you about your political affiliations, blah, blah, blah. And what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I'm at your doorstep. Now, people might just tell me to get lost. Or some people have that genuine conversation. I think it's, it's a proven fact. And this is something that I would have to like bring up the study, but I don't have it on hand but it's it's a fact that conservative voters vote more out of fear than more left-leaning or liberal voters can i interrupt you real quick because i just want to footnote my own wording of the uh, or to even word it as conservative and clearly we're probably going to be going on this for a while now so i think we talked about this before just the fact that the the idea that there's two sides is just bonkers and it's so much more nuanced than that and i think if anything what we've seen over the last six months is the reality of how nuanced it is because 
there is I don't know anybody, even you, who fits into just one box or right. camp. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. There are some people, but it's I I don't I, I'd have to. They're really like cartoonish. F- they're cartoonish. Yeah. yeah, I'd have to think so hard to even imagine any that I know well or pay any attention to. So. Yeah, it's so much obviously more nuanced, which is good, thank yeah. God. Um, seems like that gives us more hope. Right. <laughs> There's more possibilities that way. Well, that's why, like you know, I, I said my my ideology is refined. It's because it's not perfect. It's not. It's not done. It's always refining, but it's always changing. It's always evolving. But the way I describe myself is as a social democrat. So it's not like I'm not. And the, because the word democrats and it doesn't mean necessarily like the Democratic Party. Uh, the social democrat is like uh, you're left leaning. You're you believe in a mixture of capitalism and socialism. You believe in like you know. There's three things for me. I always say this. There's three things for me that I believe that the government should control. It's healthcare, prisons, and education. Those three things are things that should be nationalized, should be controlled by the government. Because I don't think that there should be profit in healthcare. I don't believe there should be profit being made off of education because I think also everyone has a right to education. Everyone has a right to a trial. Everyone has a right to your Miranda rights. You're protected by the Constitution, right? So those things are important for prisons, for education. And I believe you have the right to life. And if you have the right to life, then you should have the right to health care. So those three things that should be – those are like the three things purely that I think should be handled by the government. Now, you can change beyond that so you can argue like – minutia of other things but generally speaking this is where like the mixture of capitalism comes in like i am a big consumer i mean i i love collecting just junk you know what i mean like it's just something that it, it's meaningless to somebody else but to me it means a lot i mean i i collect i mean i collect uh, thor comics and it's just to some people that would just be like dude what are you wasting your money on but to me it has that sentimental value of like i like this and i like that i can spend my money and i can own this thing so I believe in the right to private property and I believe in that mixing. So it's not a pure like communist or socialist or and those things aren't the same thing either. And it's not pure capitalist either because I think anything that's generally like pure in one way or the other is usually flawed and it usually is never implemented in the way that the theory states. Um, I think that goes with economics, goes with political ideologies, et cetera, et cetera. And that is why it's good sometimes to have like uh, – two opposed factions that can debate back and forth or it's like four factions if you have like other other um political systems uh but we don't have that here so we have two parties i would wish that we had a bit of a realignment um and in my ideal world uh and and i say this as a the chairman of the democratic party here but i wish that a lot of like the more center um wing of the democratic party would be you know the republican party and then the people that represent my values would be the democratic party and or like a labor party or a workers party or we can have you know multiple parties but we would have to have a again it goes back to the criticism of systems and structures you would have to literally destroy like destroy the system that we have even though washington uh warned everybody about the two-party system you know the founding fathers were worried about a two-party system but you know parliamentary systems have their flaws as well and we just have to that it's like you have to be willing to critique the system without being called and this this kind of goes into what we were talking about 
with um, like Black Lives Matter, and we could talk about like Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. But like you have to be able to critique uh, the systems without being called like unpatriotic or uh, you hate the troops or you hate the flag because it's usually kind of a scapegoat to switch it to that. But um, it happens almost every single time. It happened with Colin Kaepernick is the most like direct example where he took a knee, which is arguably more showing more respect because, you know, people kneel, kneel when they pray. Um, I'm not religious, but people do kneel when they pray, generally speaking. So if he's taking a knee in front of the flag, you would think it's more respect to the flag. But it's it's always a scapegoat um, because he was talking about police brutality. And then it evolved into you're anti-American, you're this, you're that. And it's kind of sad that it has to devolve to that. And it always devol- devolves into a culture, uh, like a culture war and a culture divide rather than a economic or socioeconomic battle where we actually need to have that battle. Um, because <laughs> I guess like if you are hearing me say this, don't take this like to this extreme, but um, wealth inequality here in America today is as bad as it was right before the French revolution. And the French revolution obviously ended at the end of a guillotine. So like, I'm not like saying that's what's going to happen, I have much more uh, better solution, I, I would think, like breaking up Amazon or like taxing uh, billionaires so that they would actually we can actually fund things. But that's that's just a, a fact. And people will, you know, might disagree with that. Um, but there is the data, the statistics that show that wealth inequality is just as bad as it was back then. All right. I gave him my question hand here all right yeah. so <laughs> sorry good. i just like i'm it's, going no, on a rampage great. sometimes Let's go on yeah. two questions then all right and it's it's great because you said something really important there and provocative that it's as bad and then you said it's a fact so i want to unpack that yeah i also want to highlight what i perceived um an oversimplification of part of what you were just saying mm-hmm. or at least you were pointing to this question which is We've got all these voices and all these points of view and all of these perspectives. And you didn't directly do this, but I'm, I'm wondering if this resonates with you. It sounded as if you were calling to question the actual value of uh, what could be seen as the current, quote unquote, Republican or obviously in the Trump version, Trump era that, yeah. of that and Mitch McConnell and, and many other people. Yeah, I think they're one and the same, honestly. But yeah, yeah, that voice, that perspective... Um, which sometimes does overlap with a lot of the conservative perspective, sounded like you were questioning how good is that even to have at all. Right. Do we need that voice at all for progress, for uh, civilization to exist and thrive? Right. Do we need that at all? It reminds me... So that is what you're kind of saying. Uh, in a sense, like in a political realm, yes, because I think that um, well, political is a term really just for life. Right, right. No, no, and we discussed this last yeah. time. But um, it's, to me... It sounds like you're party, saying, as is a that party, a good... As a party, I think the Republican Party is the number one threat to life on this earth. All right, cool. Appreciate Personally, that. Personally, yeah, yeah, I, I really do. Um, which is, it seems hard to debate that. I wouldn't have a... I could point out... I could you know, play devil's advocate and we could explore that, which could be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But 
the the important thing about what you just related to is the system itself is obviously allowing for that and is it good for us to allow for that and that's so tricky because we have such an addiction to this idea of freedom that we have to allow for everything or we need to be able to do what we want etc etc you'd probably appreciate this meme that's going around that there should be no we should just stop allowing there to be billionaires once you hit 999 etc million mm-hmm. you get a you get a certificate that says i beat capitalism and you get to live your life with i that. mean you basically <laughs> you basically did you like put the cheat codes in or something <laughs> so you you should get that cert <laughs> or you hit the tech wave at the right time whatever no, you know what i mean yeah. like I, i'm not like i'm not saying that uh billionaires no, you're, are you're bad not or, there's you know nothing I mean? <laughs> you don't have to defend it all you're not some sort of uh caricature of anything you're you're completely clear. So there's there, we wouldn't be having this conversation if your perspective was so obvious and could be just lumped into one box. So with that, then the, I think we have to unpack that first part, which is, um, well, now I forget what, Oh, right. What's this, what's worse now or as bad as the French time before wealth inequality. Yeah. You say that's as bad. So, yep. Unpack that, like get to the nitty gritty. That's they're, a very obviously provocative comparison. Right. <laughs> I mean, the, the, I'd be talking out of my butt if I had said I knew the exact number, but there are, I've like, got the world yeah, wide web here. There, there are, <laughs> I believe it's the top 50 per 50 people in the world own more wealth than the bottom 50% of the world. Um, and that's wealth, you know, obviously the most amount of, most people gain their wealth from home ownership, which again, comes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. Well, there are people that don't think home, like home, home, uh, ownership should be decommodified. And that's that, if we got rid of that as a commodity, the vast majority of people would have no wealth. We would actually be in debt. I mean, most people are in debt. So we have negative wealth versus like, I have a negative wealth. But you talk about that's not the same as debt. I'm sorry. That's the same as debt, right? Well, I'm t- yeah, yeah. Well, because you, you're loans. netting your you're netting your your debt with your wealth, like what you own. So, yeah. like if you owned a car, at least you own the car. So you have an asset that is hopefully worth what your debt is. Right. I have a piece of paper that said I went to school, and you know, hopefully that maybe someday gives me whatever. But um, it doesn't actually generate. It's not actual wealth. Versus like I own warehouses or I own trucks and I own, you know, if you own Amazon, if you're Jeff Bezos and you own Amazon, you know, you're set to be the first trillionaire, trillionaire. That's, you know, with a T. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's these, like, those are the caricatures and like, it's not, again, it's not like saying, um, you're inherently bad. It's just saying that a system that allows for that at some point is broken and it's not like, okay, uh, I don't shop on Amazon, but how many people do? I mean, millions literally. So that's how they get their money. Um, but how come they pay zero in federal income taxes? Well, I mean, it's like, it keeps going, keeps going. What's interesting. You just hit on the word bad again. Um, cause that's what stood out to me when you said it the first time, but this time it's even more clear how to, relate it to morality and it you know it's tempting and i hear you doing it and i see myself playing with it it's tempting to not be so reductionist to just go into some boring morality 
position. Right. Like, I actually good. did a that's whole bad. podcast about that. Well, good, because I think we should go into it further, because it, even though it's tempting it is to not do that, it's also questionably relevant. Mm-hmm. Like, well, ideally, I think we don't need to be so simplistic. We're, ideally, we're not so simplistic in our thinking in mass. Like, normally, we're not thinking of things as good or bad, but right. we're not in normal. This isn't normal. There, we don't want this to be normal. This is ideal think most of us want this to not be the norm on a lot of levels so can we call something out at this point and it sounds like you kind of are yeah no yeah. no I, I think i think wealth inequality is bad like i think it's right. it's immoral like a yeah, system that allows that is immoral now we talk about systems we talk about corporations they're inherently amoral because they're just systems they're just structures they're made up of people that make decisions yeah. and those people can be moral immoral whatever you can have any shade of gray and that's again it comes like to every little thing it touches in your like, your culture and uh like people like movies that have the good guy and the bad guy well i kind of like some video games and some movies that have the gray you know it's like okay um there are characters like you can t- like one my favorite show is the sopranos right <laughs> So, <laughs> so like i just started watching it two nights ago right so you have I'd tony, never watched it you have tony soprano who is a mafia boss. Yeah, he's a murderer. But you like him. Yeah. So it's Because he like, also cares about. Right. So there's the moral gray. So I mean, he, the he whole loves point his is family. he's literally in he's, therapy. That's right. the whole point of the show. He lo- he loves his family. <laughs> he wants to he wants to make his life better for them, but he's also murdering people in the streets and he's doing, you know, all these heinous things. And but, yeah. and obviously that's again, it's like a, an extrapolation cuz real life most people aren't murdering people and doing all that stuff. But every one of us is gray. You know, yeah. we're not that good or bad. And it like that's a system. A system or a structure is amoral. It's well, it's actually it's not even in the middle, it's just amoral. So like whatever mm. the people that make it up, that grayness can change it. So when I talk about wealth inequality, you're talking about a a structure, a tax structure which I did go to school to study, a tax structure that allows for say a corporation to run roughshod and become a monopoly. And I think Amazon is becoming a monopoly the same way Disney is. And I'm wearing a Marvel shirt. So it's, I mean, it's, I'm gray one though. Right. (laughs) So, but uh, like I am a, uh, we're all hypocritical in some level because we're all part of a system, right? So it's, you can boil it down to that. But, um, Amazon is amoral because Amazon is just a a corporation, which is just a legal entity represented by represented by the government and that's the only reason why it exists. And the only way or the only reason why Amazon wants to exist is to make money. And they will make every decision possible that will make them the most money. And that doesn't make it immoral. It makes it amoral because that's just what it's designed to do. Making money is not bad. Uh, like like I said, if I, you know, if I had a billion dollars, I'd be buying every Thor comic there ever was. <laughs> I'd be, you know, I'd be buying stupid stuff. Um, and maybe that's why I'm not rich, but, (laughs) but, um, no, it's those, those structures are set up to be manipulated by the people that control them. And that's why democracy is good because you're supposed to elect the people that you think would steer the ship towards the right way. But when we talk like certain things, if you 
look at climate change and one party thinks it's fake and one party thinks it's real and that even within the party that thinks it's real, there's people that want to do more about it and do less about it. Well, the one that thinks it's not real is, I think, bad. And that's a subjective standard. And I think that's kind of where we were hinting at is I have my subjective feelings about certain things that are definitely saying wealth inequality is bad. If you deny climate change, that is bad. And the Republican Party, in my opinion, represents those things. Now, if you took the good parts, maybe, if you took like some of them, some Republicans believe in free speech absolutism, right? So like they believe that we have, everyone has the right to, you know, say whatever they want. We can, you, you and I can have this conversation. Um, political, political speech is the most protected form of speech too under the First Amendment. But like that, like I'm not an absolutist, but I love the, the idea of free speech, right? So like I would represent that part. And I think that's, some of those things would be like, taken like maybe off the corpse of that party and and like and put into whatever that new structure would be hopefully got it and okay okay um yeah i know that was a lot to just (laughs) throw out there no it's not it's good it's good we're we're keeping it together it's good man (laughs) you know what i'm distracted by the my hair yeah it's that one little part this (laughs) You got it. All right. In the videos, it's like I'm trying to. It's okay. Hide it. That's fine. I didn't want you to see it later. I'm like, dude, why didn't you tell me my hair was? Like, it's okay. I don't care. <laughs> um. Yeah. I haven't gotten a haircut in a while, so it's uh, neither. It's of, due to due to happen. I guess I got one in February, but um, hold on, I'm gonna lose it though. All right. So not about Thor yet. Not about Marvel. Not about Gray. Um. Something more about oh, bad climate change. Um, oh, right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm back. <laughs> Sticking on theme, staying, staying into the theme here. So, it's. I think it's fascinating to debate to to see how people debate climate change because it's so again, almost. You know, when I'm not feeling angry, it's it's childishly reductionist and Mm -hmm. and just insultingly oversimplified even the idea that it's all man-made right or that we should relate to it as a man-made phenomenon is oversimple an oversimplification Mm -hmm. and so i remember something we said before and it's it's most obvious i think the climate change litmus test is the most obvious because what it really boils down to is whether or not you want to intentionally avoid unnecessary suffering or not. Yep. Like the specific historical context or industrial revolution relationship or carbon emissions or pollute, actually pollution is when it really just starts to come down to something. Eventually what it really comes down to is whether or not you're committed to minimizing unnecessary suffering or not mm-hmm. like that's the question like are you willing to explore how to minimize suffering for yourself and others not just others but for yourself too or not and it's like that's where if the answer is 
no. Like, well, you're not just an asshole then. Yeah. <laughs> There's a problem here. And yep. it's a disease. It's a di- it's literally the essence of what people, I hope, mean when they're talking in spiritual terms. You don't have to talk in those terms. But of thinking of yourself as separate from everything. Mm-hmm. It's not about the specific... Uh, superficial details it's a matter of how you literally relate to well yeah your your uh, way of identifying in relationship to reality right and (laughs) and the fact that we have to disagree on reality is when we start to get into like the sketchier stuff i mean that's 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 when we get into like okay do you think we can ever agree enough on it because I think not that's the everybody, whole... not everybody. Well, enough. That's yeah. the point. Enough. Yeah. What would be enough? Like it... I would say, like you need, like you need, a, you... the vast majority of Americans, especially, which is what we're talking about here, is, do believe in climate change, right? Um, do they? Is that, yes. That's yes. You, we can look that up. We can look that up. <laughs> I looked it up not too long ago because I have these debates all the time. I don't even know what that means, though, to believe in climate change. Anymore. It believes that it's at least it exists and it's at least partially man-made. And now what's God, funny is that's is such we, an easy thing to believe. <laughs> I know, I know. But we're talking about okay. Um it's not it's not black and white, okay, it obviously exists or it obviously doesn't necessarily, right? To some people. But do you believe that smoking causes lung cancer? Me, personally? Yeah. yeah. Like smoking cigarettes. It obviously can yeah yeah like it doesn't it doesn't always yeah but it, it won't necessarily it is one of the leading causes of getting lung cancer yeah and it, it i think the reality of how those kinds of things i know where you're getting at so short answer is there is more science more, proving that likely. climate yeah. change exists and is at least partially man-made than smoking causes lung cancer and I believe it. that, yeah, because you have the people who have lived their whole lives, and well, I didn't get it. Right, huh? <laughs> right. So, th- like, there are no, but there are some, obviously, that don't get sick. Yeah. Right. So there maybe there is a chance that I we get this, we get this great technology that reverses and reengineers the entire planet, but most likely no. Yeah. So we have to take action now, and we have to actually, and you'd also have to admit that it exists to make that technology, which people kind of ignore. Because I always hear that counter argument to be like, oh, we'll just get the carbon out of the air. Uh. This is exactly the thing that I thought. If I I was imagining us getting to this, I never try to force anything. But the primary thing that I've been noticing, the primary um, challenge that I've been noticing is our, it's the same kind of thinking as like, um, and that's why you're unique about what your approach to this is so refreshingly unique. Like we can just tweak the system. Like, no, that's a silver bullet kind of thinking, right? There is no silver bullet, right? That one thing isn't it at all. That one particular detail is not it at all. Focusing on that one thing is so ignorant. And it, yes, it's a matter of privilege to be able to point to that. I own that, but it is important to push that reality to push that point that the silver bullet thinking is not it it's not it there's there gonna is change, it's yeah. not going to solve the problem and uh, it's, it's, a, it's the whole it's the whole thing you get like a lot saying. of psychological projection when you talk about these things like that so like when you talk about having a silver bullet if i mention the green new deal people think oh is that it like that's the end what you want to just get rid of cows which is a, a straw man <laughs> you know what i mean they oh you want to get rid of planes well, no, 
there's a vast, like there is a vast, vast uh, number of things that go into a quote Green New Deal because it's not one proposal. But even if that happened, this is a lifetime's a lifetime worth of struggle. Like this isn't just going to happen, and we're not we're not thinking that it would. Like you know what I mean? As someone that supports the Green New Deal, right? I'm not just going to think, okay, climate change is solved because we built a rail system that goes across the United States and it reduces the amount of planes that we need, which is, which is one of the ideas because it's actually going to be, you know, solar powered or whatever. And it's actually reduces the amount of airplanes needed. Or, you know, I'm not a vegan, but if you are a vegan and you don't eat meat, good on you because that reduces methane uh, emissions. Probably. As long. Yeah. uh, Yes, probably. And if we, you know, at some, at some point, if we got to the point where we had like, um, you know, engineered meat that doesn't have to be coming from whatever. Yeah. It, 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 it's just I don't that think it. You don't have to be a vegetarian or a vegan to recognize that um, slaughter. You know, right. That the agricultural relationship with livestock is as awful as anything yep. else. And it and it, it causes as climate hor- change. <laughs> it is as a horrible a thing we could create as. Yep. Any yeah. To the extent that we don't identify fully with other animals, we don't treat it this. We don't relate to it as uh, a Holocaust, but right. And but I'm it, not trying to be provocative. Yeah, but it's it's terrible. It's disgusting. We eat other animals, so it's not the same thing. But among other reasons, but yeah, it doesn't take a vegetarian or a vegan, so to right. speak, to point that out. But you're like me. I'm not. I'm neither of those well, things. You saw what I ate. Of yeah. course, I'm not either. <laughs> But and that's I what I mean. It's no silver bullet. Yes. The Green New Deal is not it. That's not the thing. So I think what we keep coming, or what we've, the, kind of the through line thus far, even from the beginning, and not intended as far as I could see, was acknowledging that, and I want to know if you think this is accurate and how we can address this, quote unquote, legislatively or politically. Yeah. It's a problem with our thinking. It's a psychological problem mm-hmm. at the at the core, right? Uh, it stems from it because... Um, in, every- well, in other words, how could we really change anything, so to speak, systematically or, or even enough? Not say... I won't say fully. That right. sounds a little too idealistic. No, but I- how could we change things enough without the, it... Without some sort of reconciliation about our thinking about our psychological you definitely can't we can't okay yeah no you definitely that's a very important point (laughs) yeah i think the entire conversation can be summed up thus far in that point right that's not obvious i don't know anybody else for whom i don't know many people for whom that's obvious well do you no because i it's because we all think we're right right we all think we have the well maybe not maybe not all of us (laughs) maybe but but i'm saying like I obviously believe what I believe because I think it's right. But well, that depends on the context, right? In what context? Like, I mean, I it's think correct. Work? You know what I mean? I think it's correct. Like, I have the right answers to fixing problems. But every depends answer... Depends on the problem. Right. I every, don't think you and I are talking about the United States. I think you and I are talking about humanity. I, I, I tend to agree. I think we're talking about a funda- the fundamental human problem. And yeah. I say the, not a. Uh. So the context to me is as big as I'm able to imagine, mm-hmm. as big as I need to imagine. Yep. I'm not thinking of the uh, the whole universe, like <laughs> trying to figure out what to do with Thanos. So I think in 
I think that's a that's the scale. The context and the scale is humanity, not the United States, not Pennsylvania, certainly mm-hmm. not. Um, I guess Bucks County and Doylestown, although fo- acting obviously in those contexts is is critical. But I think our conversation has been about humanity yep. thus far. So yeah, I don't know a lot of people that really are, and I, that we have not said that we know what we know we're right or we know what to do. I think all we've acknowledged is the context of the problem. Yeah, I think that's at least. But I don't hear a lot of, of people it. doing that. No, a lot of people ignore context. <laughs> I don't think we can do a damn thing without context. Yeah. I don't think we can really improve our situation without context. Yeah. I say this all the time in my work. Context is everything. And it comes with every little thing that we're doing. Like if you're, I mean, we can talk about our, like if you're going to go for a 400 pound bench, Whatever. like, like yeah. I did, right? Or uh, pick up a heavy bag a hundred times. Right. <laughs> you can't ignore everything that you've done leading up to that part and be like, well, just put it on. Like, I'll just do it. Right. I mean, maybe you can, maybe you have the strength or the capacity to do something that you've never done before. But if you ignore the context of saying like, okay, well, you know, I, I couldn't bench 225 last week. So just do 405. You know what I mean? It applies to that. And it applies to ignoring the history and context of slavery and Jim Crow laws and segregation and redlining. And, and, and it, it applies to everything. Yeah, and that's what's that specific point when you, I, I think that's true. Like I, of course, am trusting people in believing what, that that's true about yeah. um, Levittown and all yep. things Jim Crow, and so trusting that that's true because it makes complete sense that it is. There's no reason to question that. How can you not? I know we can't answer this except for the psychological point that we're acknowledging, mm-hmm. the psychological defect maybe that we're acknowledging. How can you not have empathy for challenges that clearly have not been adequately addressed since the 70s? I mean, civil rights was in the 60s, so things shifted a little bit, but there have been the same problems since the 70s and they haven't been directly addressed. How can you not know that? It's only been 50 years. How can you think that it should be better there given the alive. understanding, <laughs> given that context? How can you not recognize that it isn't better? It isn't fair? I don't... I think uh, it's that's me willf- ranting, willful yeah. ignorance. It's gotta be willful... It's, yes, it's either willful, willful ignorance or... Stupidity. There is yeah. a kind of stupidity, a socially accepted yeah. <laughs> stupidity. And Anti intellectualism, usually. It's like, yeah. it's either masked as pseudo intellectualism, saying, like, well, actually, racism is dis- disproven because we have the Civil Rights Act in 1964. Well, no. Or you have anti intellectualism, which just discredits, you, again, you discredit the 99.9% of studies that show that climate change exists and is at least partially man-made. Like, just get rid of it. Yeah. Because that's, or, or get rid of, it's in a book, get rid of it. I don't want to read a book. I don't want to, I don't want to learn about this. And that exists. I mean, it's, I think a lot of it comes to um, uh, the, the American culture of being like individualized and being. Well, that's why we po- I pointed to that. Right. I, but it, I think that's rooted in a psychological patterning. And yeah. That's rooted in actually uh, religious cult context yeah which i don't know how to 
because I analyze it. I don't intend to run for politics or any sort of office, but I think like someone who is engaged with the world. And I because you care because I have I care yeah. and I don't know any other way. And I, I yeah, I think. Yeah, I care. I do because I care. That's right. And that's important. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm going to own that because I care. Um, that's the fact. And I don't think there is any other way to. I, I think that's the groundwork for moving forward is understanding the. the that's the context psycho psycho spiritual historical like uh we've developed a way of thinking because of stories and now we are our patterning is rooted in that we have to change that we have to know that or else i don't know i don't think it's i don't think it's going to or or else we're probably gonna have the world burning (laughs) i mean in one fashion or another or like you already highlighted not to be doom and gloom but uh guillotines I, I, I mean, we, I don't think it's yeah. far-fetched to feel like people are going to sit and take this anymore. No, and that gets to the really primary um, rational reason to be paying attention is because November won't change anything, I don't think, either way. Not fundamentally, but it'll at least get the, hopefully, get no, the I, don't get me wrong. I, 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 I yeah. <laughs> obviously don't want Donald Trump to get reelected. It doesn't systematically change all of what we were talking about. And I'm not, yeah, and that's a board, that's, that would be, yes, that would be obvious and we've kind yeah. of already acknowledged that. I'm not trying to be so um, simplistic. I'm acknowledging that we already know to a very large extent that people are willing to be violent and feeling extremely stressed and defensive and he's a provocateur to say the least. Um even if he quote unquote loses, yeah, I just don't think it's going to. We're not going to magically, obviously, be a United States. Yeah, and yeah, it's hard to ignore how that could, what that could lead to. Obviously, that's hard to ignore. Yeah, the ideology that he espouses doesn't go away. the The xenophobia, the racism, the classism, none of that goes away. Um, just maybe there's not a guy saying it. Yeah. There's not a guy on Twitter saying, you know, tweeting out videos of a guy saying white power. You're not like, okay. Yeah. That's why I say Mitch McConnell and Trump are the same. You know, they, they functionally do the same thing. Yeah. One just says the bad parts out loud. <laughs> mm. I th- That's how I view it, at least. Because, you know, both of them want to get, like, tax cuts for their buddies, and they want to do all this stuff. They have all their dog whistles, and Trump just says some of the dog whistles as they are. They're not hidden. They're not veiled. And since probably Nixon or Reagan, you can pick, uh, it's been on that that steady leading up to Trump. I mean, they were they were sowing the seeds for Trump to come in and be what he is. That's in my that's my opinion at least. I I see it that way. Yeah, it, it makes sense. They set the precedents. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's Damn. depressing. Damn. It's not it can I be depressing yes, and overwhelming. Of course it can be and it's and that's where you know I have so many we have so many tools that we obviously use in every moment. Right, you clearly are disciplined, 
um, uniquely disciplined. So we use those tools and we continue to learn about them. And obviously that could get into things like real wellness and ice baths, but I don't want to rush into that or push for that. I think the main, again, knowing that you know, we've analyzed the, the possible uh, you know, dangers uh, regardless of this November's election. Mm-hmm. You and I aren't depressed, though. So, Well, <laughs> I'm not particularly in the best of, uh, you know, like, again, I think that's where it comes into the value of what we do and like what you have here and talking about wellness. And All talking right, let me about rephrase strength. that. Uh, you present yourself as generally very... Um, comfortable with what's going on with yourself and the world as it is. Mm-hmm. And to me, that implies that you're not dealing with any sort of normal kind of depression or anxiety. I, yeah, uh, sometimes, uh, depression, no, not normally anxiety. Yes. I just mask it pretty well. I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I respect that. I appreciate <laughs> that. And, and it's nice to, take that unexpected turn because of course don't get me wrong i know what it is i i am not some sort of robot immune to the the uh the feelings of you know of difficulty and stress obviously yeah i work on maintaining and um reinforcing an attitude and an outlook which is um beneficial to me and seemingly the people around me authenticity is always good and i do not wake up every day feeling ready to kick ass or just seize the thing the day and sometimes i hit the snooze button i'm as as human as i think is necessary and i feel pretty good about it i've been accused otherwise before (laughs) but um i guess what i'm saying with you is that you you seem like you have a pretty solid foundation for yourself as far as like when something like the going gets tough, you know what you're going to do for yourself. You're going to take care of your shit. I have what drives me. And like you said, you know, uh, the discipline gets you up every day. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean you you get up right when the alarm goes off, (laughs) but it is what gets you up. And, you know, you sit there and you do your work, what you got to do, you get stuff out of the way and then you, you get the passion to drive you to whatever the next thing is. So, so yeah, what like, do you it's think like you I, could be I have felt that, you know, I like during this time, I, I literally have felt that depression. And before this, I have felt that depression. Yeah. I'm someone that is more of an anxious person. So like, I haven't had like the clinical depression, but when we talk about anxiety, like it makes me very, very worried, like all the time. And I have that, like, I've had those panic attacks where you're like, Oh, what am I doing? What is going on? I can't breathe. Like, and what's the context though? Well, I've had panic attacks for different a bunch of different reasons, but a lot of it comes from like knowing for me, knowing that I know where I want to be and where I want to end up. But in a, in some way it's going against the grain and going against the conformity of like what you were expected to do and accepting that and knowing there's going to be times where you're, you feel like crap, you, People put you down. They don't believe in you. And you don't, for me, I only need like one person to say like, I see what you're doing and I can, I see value in what you're doing and it reaffirms it. But you get those days where you're like, damn, like this sucks. Like, what am I doing this for? 
I mean, I've had I have had days recently like that. You you just you you can't. Sometimes you can't control them, and sometimes you can. And that's why you can try to do. You know, you can meditate on it. You can think about it. You can go lift, and you can get it out of the way, and you can kind of just get your anger out. But you have to know how to channel it, and that's something that I've gotten better at. And I think that's why I can. You know, it's not a performance or anything, but I can show myself in a more calm and hopefully collected way than the anxiety, depression riddled, like 24 year old that I, I partially am. Um, but it's, it's just slowly, slowly working on your mindset about it and working on, you know, just your well being in, in general. Like, you know, when I go running, I don't like going running and I go very, very slowly but I know that that mental challenge of saying like I'm gonna go six miles as a 200 pound powerlifter, that's gonna make me stronger when I'm on the platform or when I'm running for office and it's a 90 degree day out and I have to go knock doors, and I want I want that office. I'm gonna I got I got that strength in my head, not maybe not the physical strength, but I also might have that hopefully, um, to push through and push mentally through a lot of that stuff. And some people just. Um, haven't, haven't had the refinement in that wellness and in that, in that, um, mindset that hopefully we, we will be working on, (laughs) you know, I do. And it reminds me, thank you. That was really, it was fun to watch that shift for you too, where you, you remembered what you have, you have a foundation and tools and skills to rely on an anchor and it was obvious that you were you were getting there and you got there and it was really cool to see how it happened (laughs) it was like real time man because that's what needs to be done when you're experiencing challenges you focus up on what you can focus on which this that's why things like breath work and breathing in general and the elements and movement are the tools that I prefer to prioritize because they're literally always available. That's the main reason. I think they work best, one, because they're always available, and two, they're always available, which means you can use them all the time Mm -hmm. to improve your situation most efficiently. You don't have to have some sort of gimmick or trick or one of those potential silver bullets. These are the things that you were born with. These are the tools that you always have. Use them, period. Right. And what I just saw you do was essentially that in a way. And the other um, really beautiful part of what you just reminded me of is I actually did record a couple conversations. I just didn't end up thinking of them as podcasts back in uh, late March, the second half of March, once things changed, and early April. One of them was with Casey, and we were discussing masculinity Mm -hmm. and the kind of men that we... Um, believe we need to be in general. And I remember something really cool that he said. He, he was talking about integrity, but he was also, the way he worded it was, the men of the future are able to communicate in all five love languages. So shout out to Casey for saying that, and it, you just reminded me of it. Um, and you gave me a neat idea too. So the one love language that I heard you highlighting there unintentionally was uh, words of affirmation, positive mm-hmm. words of affirmation. Oh, yeah. I guess that's redundant. And you just clearly enjoyed that even, that phrase. Yeah. So, Well, because I, I do that when I'm running. Yeah. I, I literally <laughs> say that to myself while I'm running. I bet. And I just realized that love languages, I, it's never occurred to me, 
as clearly as it does now are for all relationships, mm -hmm. even men to men, even yep. friend to friend, uh, not just with myself and Ari, not just Ari to me, but Griffin and me, my son. And you, I, that's really, yeah, that point Casey made just hit home for me because I saw you doing it. I saw how obviously relevant it was. And you said it, one, you know, as long as one person has something, some supportive... Uh, or I impact them. Yeah. You know, like exactly. I, it doesn't have to be they said it. It's just that I sh they show it or I can see it. I can feel it that like I impacted them or, or they oh, can see... if they see tell you, I'm, it really does make it all the sweeter, it, it right? It does. It does. <laughs> but, but, you know, like sometimes there's not words to be said. You know, like there's sometimes course, there's, there's, there's these things that you can do. And there's not a way to describe it um, yeah. that like that they affected you so positively or you affected them so positively, but you can just see it or feel it. Yeah. And it's just those relationships that have developed. But of course, like when someone says like, awesome, dude, that's that's great. Like, I can see you doing that. I can see you on the Senate floor. You know, it's like those are the things that make it worth it. That definitely make it worth it. Awesome. I can see you on the Senate floor. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, I mean, that seems like such a sweet place to pause. It's 10 after 3. I know I need to make this phone call, and I've only got till 4. Um, that was a really nice place to pause in my mind, but what do you think? You want to go for a little longer or let it naturally... We, whatever you want yeah whatever you want i i'm cool keep going i'm cool with pausing either well, let, way. let's think about any loose ends we may have be, instead of opening up anything else i'm gonna look at this list we made okay but let's think of any loose ends real quick and yeah i feel like that was a really cool place to let it be for part one all right so loose ends you got any Obviously, we, in other words, we opened up a lot of questions. Yeah. We didn't try to answer all of them, and I don't think we should. Yeah, I don't should. think we probably could either. Could or, yeah, and I don't <laughs> even value that as much. The questions are more important. Yeah. At this point. What do you think? Did we, did we clarify the French Revolution part enough? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah. As long as people don't take it out of context, then yes. Uh, well. Which, not, again, that's that why I always try yet. to... <laughs> Well, but you never know. I mean, people want to. Uh, they want a character caricature, what you say, and that's yeah. why I always try to look at like, you know, when I say this, I mean this, and not, you know, I'm not saying Jeff Bezos is bad, but he shouldn't be the first trillionaire. Like, you know, it's like there shouldn't be a trillionaire. I, I think you were saying there. Yeah, the idea of a trillionaire is, is bad. That yeah. is bad. <laughs> but he isn't. You know, yeah. it's like that's the people extrapolate it and be like, okay, but I, I've I've had those battles before. I know where we're gonna end, but um, we're gonna get there organically in a second here. Okay, right? I get it, man. Um, some of this stuff I'm gonna save for the intro, but the key thing, to, so two things. Well, you'll like where we're gonna end. Um, <laughs> actually, three things. Yeah. So that show, we'll talk about that another time. When are you gonna do your ice bath? I <laughs> I mean whenever you have me back. Nice. Okay, good. That was <laughs> Whenever easy. we do our next workout, I should say, because like I'm not just going to come in, take a nice bath, right, leave. Good. We well, got to actually work we out. We have a 200 have 200 pound sandbag with our Name names, on, on, names it. on it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, with a nice ice bath following that. Perfect. 
Um, okay, so here's where we go then. What What do you think of Thanos? Complicated Thanos. guy, right? He's one of the most compelling villains for sure. Um, Hard the, to put in a box, right? He's yeah, <laughs> and, or, or or is he just straight up sociopath? He's definitely a sociopath. Um, <laughs> But but he definitely like there is complication there. There definitely is complication there where he's uh, complexity, man. You're talking about um, he's got a. To- I mean, spoiler spoiler alert. He has to toss Gamora off of a cliff, his own daughter off of a cliff, um, to get the power that he wants because he's all. But the complicated adopted daughter. Fair enough, <laughs> but uh, he, what he's doing. And this can be, you know, extrapolated to real world. To the real world is talking about um, what Thanos thinks he's doing is what's right. He thinks is right for the universe, and he's doing it because he he thinks that life would be better for the people that survive with less people or less things, because it's not just people that die in that. So I can see and I can understand. I don't think he's right. But I can see and I can understand his intentions and why he's doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's definitely a complicated figure. And I think that's what makes him fun to watch on the screen and fun to watch as he just and his power and the the just brute strength that he can just toss the toss the Hulk away. He can fight uh, Thor. Um, but Thor gets the last cut in the end. Well, I guess for the real Thanos, he gets the last cut in the end and then they, the young Thanos comes and fights them again. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting to see like the implementation of a character that he is pure, like bad. If again, we talk about bad, but his intentions, he think are good. He thinks are good and he thinks are moral and he thinks are right. But the rest of us, the, the people that have to die for it, definitely, definitely don't think so. Nuance, yeah. I guess he's a little easier to uh, villainize and demonize, but I, yeah, I think the the fun part of his character is the extent to which you can obviously understand his motivations. It's utilitarian in a sense. Yeah, you can understand it. Yeah, and then that's unique. Yeah, um, reminds me of that. Did you ever watch uh, um, the one? Samuel Jackson is the villain, and he wants to eliminate he wants to decrease the world's population um kingsman i haven't seen it you should see that you might like it probably will i like all it's fun nerdy movies like fun and funny um i think that was it then that was where i figured we'd pause okay yeah all right (laughs) well thank you no problem thanks for having me on Thanks for being on. And having me here. I love it here. Good. Well, I hope you're going to be here a lot. Um, And yeah, next time it'll be in the ice bath. We'll get the ice bath next time. 200 pound bag. And yeah, once we're both fully recovered from that one. (laughs) That'll be rough. I might be good next week. I'm on vacation next week. All of it? Yeah. All right. Maybe then. The following week though. Okay. The following week. I'm on Actually, that would be great. I'll be getting back from vacation, too. Sweet. We're taking a short one, just Thursday back Sunday. I'm going Sunday to Sunday. Okay. That won't work, then. Where are you headed? Wildwood, the beach. Yeah. 
I I'm aware of the beach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, some people don't know Wildwood, so like uh, I mean, it's probably it is probably one of the more popular. Places. Well, I'm from around here, and that Wildwood, um, Ocean City, and Seattle were the main three. Yeah, some definitely. people went to Avalon. Some people went to Stone Harbor, and occasionally Cape May. Um, yeah, those were the big three. We're actually going to Cape May in September. I'm excited. Probably a good time when there's less people, right? Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I guess. I mean, we didn't even get into school, so. True. Yeah. True. That's going to be an interesting decision, too, with the schools. Not yeah, we're going to have that as the, as a foundational game changer, and then we're going to have the election. There's, We're just getting started. Yeah, 2020 is only halfway. It's just getting started. In terms of the effects on everything oh i think this year is going to be so pivotal for the rest of our lives probably it already is man yeah it already is it's crazy <laughs> it's cr- I, I if i have kids uh, it's gonna be weird to describe it <laughs> well okay this will be my advice don't wait, have kids wait no just <laughs> don't as you know the 24 year old the guy 10 years later um yeah, wait, wait a little bit. Yeah, wait yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I don't um, even have a girlfriend, like we said. Remember, I don't have any COVID uh, regrets, and I would say wait a little bit. <laughs> the COVID dating scene's a little uh, yeah. light. I needed to dramatically shift my world. I was in a weird, I, well, not weird, but I needed to rattle my yeah, shake it up dramatically. You, yeah. I don't think I don't get the impression, and you need that. So you just I you hope know, I hope not. I don't your, know if I can handle your time. it. <laughs> take your time. Yeah, don't don't rush that one. I definitely won't. <laughs> All right, good. On that note, and there you have it. Thanos is a sociopath, but a complicated one. And that gets to the heart of the whole conversation. There, I think, in a nutshell, like we agreed, the primary problem maybe the only real problem that we need to focus on everything else may arguably arguably just be a distraction is the way we think it's psychological you could say psycho spiritual it doesn't really matter how you label it the point is it's a matter of how we identify and how we relate it's how we think and I don't only like Connor because he and I understand that and we seem to agree on that, but it certainly makes for a sweet, uh, sweet bond and sweet brotherhood. Um, more to come. Next episode is either going to be with Evan or Ari. We shall see. But the one with Ari is going to be a big one. You can imagine why. And I'll be premiering quite a few important details there. Most importantly, though, thanks to Connor. Thanks to you. And maybe eventually there'll be some kind of sign-off. But for now, yeah, I'm glad to report we're uh, we're on brand with understanding that we are fo- that what real wellness is primarily about is improving the uh, fine-tuning the understanding of the the overlap of our identity and reality, and how we need to become more aware of that if we're actually going to improve this thing called human existence which you might as well want to right that's the thing you might as well make that your priority right just for fun it can be better it can be more fun that way okay be well thank you